Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. It's great to be back with you in the Word of God again. We're working our way through the Gospel of John, and we left off halfway through an amazing text, starting once again in John chapter 1, and we pick it up with verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated, a stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. I read a very tragic but true story the other week. It took place just a few years ago when a couple went out for a drive along a wooded section near Bell Chase, Louisiana. As they were driving, something white in the trees caught their attention. They stopped because it looked out of place. And what they found shocked them. It broke their heart as they found a dead teenager hanging from a limb with a white bedsheet tied tightly around his neck. There was a farewell note that was near the base of the tree, and it was addressed simply, Mom and Dad. And the note read, I never did develop into a real person, and I cannot tolerate the false and empty existence I have created. What frustrated me most in the last year was that I had built no ties to family or friends. There was nothing of lasting worth and value. I led a detached existence. I am a bomb of frustration and should never marry or have children. It is safest to defuse the bomb harmlessly now. Simply cremate me as John Doe. Authorities circulated this young man's description and fingerprints to police across the country. They never could figure out who he was. He was later buried, unidentified, and unclaimed. A heartbreaking tragedy. A waste of life. The emptiness, the lack of purpose, the lack of fulfillment that echoed from his actions and from his note. Men and women around this world live with this same emptiness and lack of hope. But it does not have to be this way. Because let me tell you about another man, a man who at one time might have felt this same type of emptiness and lack of purpose in his own life. 
until the day he met his Savior. A man that historians tell us that he was also hung, but this man was hung upon a cross. History records that as the church continued to expand throughout the Roman Empire, that Andrew went into Asia Minor and served his Savior until he died on a cross. History records that he first was scourged, then he was hung on a cross that was shaped like the letter X to prolong his suffering. He hung on that cross for two days, and all the while he kept proclaiming the gospel of Christ to the people that walked by, always trying to bring more people to Jesus Christ. This is the same picture we get of this man in the Word of God. Andrew sought to introduce men and women to Jesus Christ. The lack of purpose, the emptiness had been replaced by becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. Take another look at our text. Starting in verse 40, we read, One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated, a stone. Andrew is the disciple that everyone has heard of and nobody remembers. At least five times he is listed as a disciple, and three of those times he's remembered as Peter's brother. It seems that even though Andrew brought Peter to Jesus in the word of God, he always seems to be remembered in the light of his brother, Simon Peter. And we know, according to Matthew 4, that Andrew was a fisherman. He worked with his brother, Peter. And obviously, from this passage we're in, we know that he was a disciple of John the Baptist before following Jesus. But we really don't have much of a record of Andrew in the Word of God itself. We have no record of Andrew doing all that much to stand out. Andrew was at all of the gatherings of the 12 disciples. He was at the Mount of Olives. He was in the upper room. He was with the disciples after the resurrection of Christ. And Andrew was there when the disciples met together waiting for the Holy Spirit. Andrew was never used to write any books of the Bible. He's mentioned very little in the Word of God. And after Acts chapter 1, he's never mentioned again. But every record we have of this man from the Word of God itself and from the other records of the day is that this was a man that was always working to try to bring people to Christ, which is fitting because this is how he starts out in our text. The very first thing that Andrew did was run and tell Simon Peter, telling him, we found the Messiah. They had found the Christ. The Christ is the Greek form of the word Messiah, meaning literally the anointed one. We have made mention a couple of different times in our study up to this point that Luke chapter 3 records that people were living in expectation of the Christ. That just as many in the church today look for the return of Christ to happen at any time, so it is that amongst the Jews, men were looking for Christ to come. Notice what Christ said to Peter in verse 42. You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Think of the interaction taking place. The Lord made it known that he knew Simon and he knew his father's name before even being introduced by Andrew. Simon was known up until this time as the son of Jonah. Simon was given a new name and think of why it was that the apostle John included the meanings of the names all throughout this text. The Greek-speaking churches would not have understood all of the Jewish expressions and we saw this back in verse 38. That rabbi means teacher. Verse 41, Messiah translated the Christ. And here again in verse 42 with Cephas. Cephas was the Aramaic form of the name Peter, meaning a stone. And by giving him this name, Christ was giving Peter an indication of what he was going to do for him. By his very nature, Simon is clearly revealed in the word of God as someone who was impulsive, easily swayed. 
but Christ was going to give him a rock-like character. Grasp the moment here. Not only did Christ know who Simon was, but the very first thing he did was give Simon a new name, which looked ahead to the boldness and leadership that Peter would display. Jesus saw people not as they were, but as the person they would become. This was the first day of the Lord's public ministry, and both Peter and John would go on to become two of the closest disciples the Lord would have in ministry. Now, before we move on, I want everyone to be clear about what is happening at this point. The Lord at this time was establishing a relationship with these men. This is not the Lord calling them yet to full-time service. Turn over to Matthew 4. As you turn, keep in mind that this is taking place at a latter time. The Lord had already established a relationship with these men in the passage that we are looking at in John, so that when the time came to call these men to full-time service, they would be ready. Matthew 4, starting in verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now Luke adds another little interesting note in his record of this in Luke chapter 5, verse 10 that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were actually partners with Simon and Andrew. So think of how well these men knew one another. Andrew and John both followed the ministry of John the Baptist. And Peter, James, Andrew, and John were all partners in fishing. Here in Matthew, this is the record of when these four men left everything behind to follow Christ in the ministry. But back in John, this is not their call to ministry. This is about Christ establishing a personal relationship with each of them. So take a look at verses 43 and 44 back in the Gospel of John. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Keep an eye on the careful details that John gives to us. This is the following day, the fourth day in a series of days. Now, at this point, it is not just John the Baptist pointing people to the Lamb of God. It is not just Andrew or John running to get their brothers to bring them to the Messiah. This is Christ himself calling men to follow him. The Lord was going to leave Judea and go to Galilee. John adds the detail that Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Now, one must wonder if Peter and Andrew had any contact with Philip, preparing him, letting him know that the Messiah had come. Bethsaida itself was a city not too far from the place where the Jordan River runs into the Sea of Galilee at the north end. Bethsaida literally means house of fishing. Lots of interesting things take place in fishing towns. Remember, this was one of the cities that Christ rebuked in Matthew 11 because the people there did not repent. Listen to part of Matthew 11. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. This was a wicked place. The people there would reject Christ and the works he would do among them. 
So track with me what is taking place in the text. Jesus was in Judea to the south. John the Baptist was there, and the first disciples of Jesus were there. But the scene is shifting to the north, and in chapter 2, Jesus would be at the wedding in Cana in Galilee to the north. This was about a three-day walk, and verse 43 leaves the impression that Philip was a man that followed Christ without hesitation. But watch what happens now, starting in verse 45, we read, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. And the rest of chapter 1 is all about what takes place between Nathanael and Christ. We do not see any other reference in the three Gospels to this disciple of the Lord by the name of Nathanael. But we do see plenty of references to a man by the name of Bartholomew. And in three different places, in Matthew 10, Mark 3, and in Luke 6, when the disciples are listed, we find Bartholomew right after Philip. It could be, maybe, that Nathanael and Bartholomew are one and the same. But think of what Philip said to Nathanael. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now this is pretty amazing stuff. Don't miss this. Philip began by describing Jesus as the one who fulfilled the Old Testament predictions of the Messiah. I am getting the picture from this text that both Nathanael and Philip were men that had a solid grasp of the Hebrew scriptures. These two men clearly were waiting for and expecting the arrival of the Messiah. They knew that the Messiah would come from the royal line of David. They knew the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin. And all these prophecies were fulfilled in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. But come on, Philip, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, as he was known. You cannot be serious. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Remember the whole region of Galilee, this was the backwoods to the Jews living down to the south in Judea. There were Gentiles living there. It had a bit of a backwoods flair. The people were considered to be illiterate in their understanding of the scriptures. They lacked the sophistication of the people of Judea. And so chapter 21 teaches us that Nathanael came from Cana of Galilee, which was only five miles away from Nazareth. Now Nazareth itself had a poor reputation. Why? What was so wrong with this town? Well, Nazareth was home to the Roman garrison for northern Galilee. The Jewish people hated the Romans so much they would actually avoid going there just because of this. And if you lived there, it was considered that you were consorting with the enemy. To call someone a Nazarene was to show your contempt for them. The town itself had a poor reputation, in part because from the region there had already been some fanatics, false messiahs that had risen up, and Nazareth itself is not even mentioned in the Old Testament. And the prophets made it clear that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5 verse 2 clearly predicted this. Jesus grew up in Nazareth. This gave the people the impression that Jesus was a Galilean. Until people learned that Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem, many were skeptical that he could be the promised Messiah. And so we really have to understand that Nathanael knew the scriptures pretty well because Philip tells him, we found the Messiah, Jesus. Philip identifies the Messiah as Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. The son of Joseph was not the problem because everyone in that day referred to who your parents were. Jesus was raised by Joseph. This is not in any way a denial of the virgin birth. But Jesus of Nazareth, 
This is what got Nathaniel. He knew there's not one single scripture in the entire Old Testament that directly connects the Messiah to Nazareth. Nathaniel knew the word of God well enough to recognize that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, not Nazareth. And Nazareth, what an obscure place for the Messiah to come from. Now, in case anyone is keeping score, there is one passage in Matthew chapter 2 where it is recorded that it was a fulfillment of the prophets that Christ would be called a Nazarene. Now, there's a reason for this, but we're not going to chase down that rabbit trail. We'll save that discussion for another day. But notice, though, that Philip didn't waste any time discussing and arguing about Nazareth. He just told Nathaniel, come and see. Great message. Come see for yourself whether Jesus is the Messiah. Take a look, starting in verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Stick with me on the rest of this text because there's a lot going on. The rest of this text is intended to be a contrast with the patriarch, Jacob. You may not see it at first, but stick with it because you will in the end. And this is just a beautiful section of Scripture. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him. Notice again this first statement. Behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Jesus was telling Nathanael that he was a true Israelite. In making this statement, Jesus contrasted Nathanael with his forefather, Jacob, the usurper. Remember, Jacob deceived his father and cheated his brother out of the blessing. This statement from Christ could almost be stated that Christ was telling Nathanael, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no Jacob. Jacob was a very deceptive man until God broke him and changed him into Israel. The new name Israel given to Jacob in Genesis 32 reflected the truth that he was a changed man. Jesus saw that Nathanael was not deceptive like Jacob. He was a true Israelite, like the man that Jacob went on to become. And this fits into the very purpose of God, that it was God's intention to transform not only Jacob, but his offspring as well. Now, Nathanael was shocked. How do you know me? Nathanael could have said, me? No deceit, but Nathaniel didn't go there. He was still wrestling, trying to determine if this was truly the Christ. And he was still wrestling, trying to figure out how it was that this man, Jesus, knew him. So he said to Jesus, how do you know me? Now, the response by Jesus that he had seen Nathaniel underneath the fig tree even before Philip had called him, recognize here the Jewish rabbis had a tradition of studying the law underneath a vine, an olive, or a fig tree. 1 Kings 4.25 and Micah 4.4 teach us that the fig tree stood for peace, security, rest, and a place to worship. Quite often, a man would seek to be alone. That is the key here. You sought to be alone, to go and worship the Lord underneath a fig tree. This wasn't something you did for a show like the Pharisees. This was something you did because you honestly wanted to study the Word and spend time in prayer expecting God to reveal himself not only in the word, but God revealing himself under the pages of human history. The remnant of Israel was looking for a Messiah, and Jesus himself was letting Nathanael know that Nathanael was speaking to the one who was the hope of Israel. Notice the words of Nathanael in verse 49. He clearly recognized who Jesus was. 
Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Think of why it was that Nathanael knew that Jesus was more than just a man. Jesus had shown him with just a few spoken words that even though Nathanael had gone to a place to be alone, to get away from everyone else to study the word of God or to spend time in prayer, God the Son knew not only exactly where he was, but he knew his heart. He knew his thoughts, revealing that this was the Son of God standing before him. Now, this makes me think of Hebrews 4, verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And when Nathaniel realized this, it pierced his heart so much that he broke out in words, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. This was a man that was prepared to receive the truth. And the statement, son of God, acknowledged his deity. The king of Israel acknowledged his position. I believe that Nathanael understood and accepted the truth that this was the king of Israel, the Messiah, the son of David. This Jesus is the messianic hope of Israel. Nathanael knew the Old Testament enough to make the connection of who Jesus is, and he rejoiced that the long-awaited messianic king of Israel stood before him. Take a look at the next two verses, a very fascinating text. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Notice the careful wording. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, first, we need to recognize that Jesus was letting Nathanael know that he had a great many things to teach the disciples, and the Lord himself was prepared to open their eyes. He did this for Nathanael by reminding Nathanael of what took place in Jacob's life in Genesis 28. Turn there, if you would, to Genesis 28. And as you turn, let us set up the backdrop. And don't miss this, because this is actually important to understanding our text in John. Let me remind you that the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, got their name as a people from their forefather, Israel, when his name was changed from Jacob to Israel by God in Genesis 32. Before he was Israel, he was known as Jacob. Jacob literally means one who trades with another by means of deceit. Jacob is well remembered for the deceit that he had shown to his own father, Isaac. And we remember that Isaac was old in years and Jacob's older brother Esau was to receive the birthright and the blessing from Isaac. As Isaac was dying in bed with poor eyesight, he called Esau to his bedside to receive the blessing. But Jacob and his mother Rebekah came up with the plan to put on goatskins so that he would appear hairy like his brother Esau. Through this plan, Jacob received the birthright of Esau. But then when Esau found out, he was so mad. What did he want to do? He wanted to kill Jacob. Genesis 27 verse 41 records, So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then, listen, I will kill my brother Jacob. Rebekah finds out, and in Genesis 27, she tells Jacob to go to her brother's house in a distant land. And on his way to his uncle's house, Jacob stops at a place to camp overnight. This is the context of the passage at hand in Genesis 28. And this is important to remember because think of the crisis taking place. Jacob had just tricked his father and was now running for his life. Take a look at Genesis 28, starting with verse 11. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. 
And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. And notice the careful wording of verse 12. It should remind you of the words of Christ back in the Gospel of John. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. The lesson for Jacob was that God was with him no matter where he went. God makes his divine presence known on earth. Just as this happened to Jacob at Bethel, and even more so as this took place in the incarnation of Jesus. And we could spend weeks here in Genesis 28, but the point that I want you to consider was that the Lord had to teach Jacob in his time of crisis that God was present in this world, that God had a plan for him. God was revealing himself to Jacob. Back in the Gospel of John, this is the same lesson from the Lord for Nathanael. Remember what the Apostle John had already recorded. The Word had become flesh. Back in verse 14 of chapter 1, we learn that the Lord tabernacled among us. And now the Lord was making it known to Nathanael that this same God who revealed himself to Jacob in a dream in Genesis 28 was now revealing himself to the people of Israel, to the descendants of Israel. Most assuredly, or as the King James testifies, verily, verily, Literally, the text reads, amen, amen, meaning truly, truly. This double statement is making it known to the reader that this is a point of emphasis that should not be missed. Jesus was testifying that he himself is the Son of Man. He was and is the only mediator between God and men. Son of Man refers to the humanity of Christ. It refers to his suffering, and it refers to the perfect human nature of Christ. Nathanael had spoken the truth. Jesus Christ is the one that bridges the divide between God and man. He is the King of Israel. He is the Son of Man. Jesus was testifying that he is the only link between heaven and earth and that the angels ascend and descend because of him. Let us not make the angels of God our focus, but let us understand that the angels of God are present in this world because they serve the loving God who came to save us. They are here watching over us, protecting us. But notice that the Lord told Nathaniel, hereafter you shall see. And I think that not only was the Lord proclaiming himself to be the mediator between God and men, not only was the Lord letting his disciple know that God the Son was revealing himself to the people of Israel, but I also believe that he was pointing to the millennium when the Son of Man sits on the throne as King of Israel. There will be open communication between heaven and Jerusalem on earth. And I think there can be no doubt that when the Lord manifests his glory during this time, the traffic between heaven and earth will be on display. Already at this point, Jesus was expanding Nathaniel's understanding of the kingdom of God. This ended 
the first two days of the Lord's public ministry, and in such a brief time, he had introduced himself to about half of his 12 disciples, including those who would become the closest to him. The tragic death of President Abraham Lincoln on April 15 of 1865 was a profound blow to the citizens of the northern United States. A funeral train proceeded through the northern cities of the nation carrying his body, and hundreds of thousands of people came out to mourn the loss of their president. But what happened next could not have been predicted. No one would have guessed after the funeral that his coffin would be moved a total of 17 times throughout the years. Nobody would have guessed that the coffin itself would be opened at least five times. A few times his body was actually transferred to a different coffin. Even though he was dead, President Lincoln was on the move. The last two times his coffin was opened, the caretakers of his grave checked to make sure that it was actually his body inside. Rumors of Lincoln's body not being in his coffin had made their way throughout the land. To many people, it was now an accepted truth that Lincoln's body was not where it was supposed to be. So in 1887, the coffin was opened and 18 people filed past to witness the corpse. This was 22 years after his assassination. Every witness testified that it was in fact the body of the former president of the United States. Lincoln was once again laid to rest. But by 1901, the rumors were again sweeping throughout the land even though the coffin had been opened only 14 years before. It was considered common knowledge that Abraham Lincoln was not really in his coffin. People kept accepting it as truth, and the more the lie was repeated, the more it was believed. The decision was made to open the casket one final time. Lincoln was now in a lead-lined coffin. Two plumbers chiseled out a section just over Lincoln's head and shoulders, and as soon as the hole was opened, a harsh choking smell poured out of the coffin. Twenty-three people took turns looking into the opening, just to make sure it was him. According to their testimony, even though it had been 36 years since he was killed, his facial features had not changed much at all. His hair, beard, and mole on his face were all still there. Lincoln still had the same suit on, but it was now covered with yellow mold. His eyebrows had fallen off and his gloves had rotted onto his hands, but it most certainly was the body of President Abraham Lincoln. It's been speculated that the frequent embalming while his body was on the funeral train led to a corpse that was practically mummified. To make sure none of this would ever happen again, the casket was soldered back together and placed into a steel cage. And then 4,000 pounds of concrete were poured to encase both the cage and the casket. The body of President Abraham Lincoln has not been moved since. Part of understanding the Gospel of John is recognizing that Israel had been down this road before. There'd been men who had come onto the scene in their recent history claiming to be from God, and it never panned out. Two of these men that came before Jesus are listed right in Acts chapter 5. Verse 36 of Acts 5 teaches that a man named Tudus had come. About 400 men followed him, but he eventually was killed and the movement ended. And then Judas of Galilee rose up and drew many people after him, and he came on the scene in 6 AD. He was the founder of the Zealots who tried to kick the Roman government out of the land. There were plenty of others. These men were not the Christ, and each time a lie is repeated, it is given new life. This gave pause to some of the men and women of Israel because they had heard the whispers before and had to wonder if this first century Jesus movement, was this just another crusade headed nowhere? Maybe they felt like the people with Lincoln's coffin thinking to themselves, here we go again. 
But this time, the Christ had come. It was not a lie. And because of this, Andrew testified with boldness in verse 41, we have found the Messiah. And again, down in verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. The arrival of the long-awaited Messiah changed everything, including the lives of these first disciples. Confidence is building among the people in our text that Jesus was the real deal. Men and women were being brought into the family of God, given a sense of purpose, and the emptiness that is common to man apart from Christ was being replaced with an eternal hope. Jesus Christ unites us with God. He is the one who connects God and man. Purpose comes from belonging to the Lord, to his family, and it starts with redemption. It starts with adoption into the family of God, and then it continues as we begin to understand and then live like we appreciate just who it is that we belong to. This is the process that we start to see unfolding in the Gospel of John with the first disciples of Jesus. And this is the path for each of us. Continue to serve him, seeking to understand more and more of what he has done for us in his word. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.